It's like the new frontier of crime is cybercrime. This whole internet industry, it's a very young industry. It's very easy to take the mentality of, well, this would never happen to me, or, you know, wait until it's an urgent problem to actually address it. What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, and thank you for tuning in. We've got a great one for you today. This is such an important topic. And for those of you who are new to the show, this is the show where we combine fire and real estate investing to help you achieve your financial goals. Today, we're talking about cybersecurity with a fantastic expert, Josiah Mann from Equity Tech. His company makes a product, Investor Deal Room. And what it does, it takes deals away, takes them out of your email inbox and puts them in a secure location on both ends, both for the passive investors and for active investors and syndicators. And this is so important because prominent investors on on both sides all throughout the industry, no matter what you're investing in, have lost hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to common cybersecurity scams and schemes. And there are simple solutions that exist like the one we're talking about today with Josiah that passive investors need to be aware of and need to demand and expect from their sponsors. Do not accept a deal that comes to you and it's going to be fully managed through email. That shows bad cybersecurity practices from that sponsor. And you as a passive investor should not settle for that because what are they doing with your other information? And we talk about that today with Josiah. It's so important and nobody's talking about this and I don't know why because people are losing fantastic sums of money to common scams. Again, we get into that today. We're going to talk about how you can avoid those scams, what the scams are, what the 80-20 analysis, and really it's even more than that, looks like and what you need to avoid. I'm so passionate about this topic because I feel like, to quote uh, Mugatu from Zoolander, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. People aren't talking about this and it's so easy to solve. So anyway, I'll stop ranting about it and get off to the episode. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate sponsor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. And once again, I'm passionate about this topic. And Josiah is bringing a solution. He has a solution for it. I'm so excited to talk about it. So without any further ado, here we go with Josiah Mann from Equity Tech and Investor Deal Room. Josiah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to talk with you. You know, we talked, we met last year at an event. We're back on during the coronavirus. For those out there who don't know you and don't know what you do, can you introduce us to yourself and your company? Yeah, but I should. I just thought of this. I'll show you something cool to, to start. Speaking of, of coronavirus, I got this really cool uh, little lion mask at the, <laughs> at the gas station. I haven't actually been brave enough to wear it. I have a black one that I actually wear. So, uh, so yeah. So I, I'm a software developer and entrepreneur. Um, I my company is Equity Tech, and our big product that we launched a little over two years ago is Investor Deal Room. So that's an investor management software for real estate syndicators and other private equity kind of private offering companies to manage investors, raise capital and and that type of thing. Nice. And, you know, this is a really, I think we need to talk about why your software is so important. But, you know, before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about what 
investor deal room really does the function that it fills? Yeah. So, so there's a couple of main, main pains that we, we kind of learned when we were talking to, to real estate syndicators. One of them was just when, when people would raise a lot of money or money from a lot of investors, just managing the capital raise process was a, a huge task. So obviously you're, you're trying to close a deal or you're, you're doing due diligence and all of this stuff, but then you're also raising the money under a big time crunch. So what ends up happening is everybody ends up with like an investment tracker type spreadsheet that they'll create their own columns for have we sent the documents? Have we got a soft commit? Have we you know, received their funds? Have we sent them a confirmation letter? Whatever the, the unique process is for each company. And what, what they found is as, as their investor base grew, it became more and more difficult to manage. And if you drop one of those balls, you lose investor trust and you really hurt the relationship. So... Um, so having that be automated and having that be like really, really reliable was a big deal to uh, most syndicators. So we really help automate that process and more or less replace that spreadsheet with an automated secure online portal that helps them uh, investors go through the, I'm interested in the deal. I want to look at the deal. I want to subscribe to the deal and assign documents. I want to send funds, that whole process. So that's really pain one that, uh, that syndicators are having. And then two is, is all kinds of, I, I guess there's three. Two is document management. So as a, as a, as a passive investor, you, you like getting your K-1s on time is a huge deal. You've got to have them to file your own, your own taxes. And oftentimes you'll need them uh, for whatever reason your CPA needs last year's K-1 too, or you'll have to go find old ones. And we found that in talking to syndicators, managing that was just an absolute nightmare. Once you get past a couple deals, and you've got older deals and someone's like, hey, can we get our K-1 from 2017 for you know, whatever it might be? So just having a central place to manage documents, is it's far better to have it be specific to the investor than it is to have a Dropbox type folder where you have to grant access to somebody. And then maybe you have it arranged project by project over there. So we were just able to create a much simpler process to share documents with investors, send out a notification. And for an LP, they can just log in and see all their documents with that sponsor in one place. So that's two. I said there was two, but there's three. Three is just updates to like your investment profile. So if, you're, if you change a legal entity, if you change a bank account where you want distributions going to. So it's, it's another aspect of just that data management that happens a year, two years into a deal. Um, as a sponsor, it's super important that you log that, that you update your records. And if you have records in three or four places, a ball, a ball just ends up getting dropped. But by having a portal that lets the LP come in and say, hey, I changed my bank account, sponsor gets a notification and the distribution is going to go to the right place. So uh, obviously your money going to the right place is important. Your Your taxes being like the K-1 being right because all the legal information is right. That stuff's super, super important. So we really just helped it from the sponsor perspective, then to keep that organized and to keep compliant with all of that stuff. And then from the LP, they don't have to wait on the sponsor to get to all of that stuff. They can just get it kind of whenever they're ready to look at it. Great. And I think something is so important here that we need to make sure we address. You mentioned that you're software is a secure online portal. And that is a mm -hmm. huge part of at least my thought on why this is so important, particularly for passive investors. But can you tell us about why 
the secure part is so important and how some folks have gotten it wrong. Yeah, well, there, there's probably probably a lot of aspects to this, but one of the one of the first things we did with Investor Dealer before we ever did our first capital raise was, you know, we kind of learned things gradually. We 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 didn't know at the outset what all data we would be storing in the portal when we started building our first client portal. Um, but then we learned, well, they really need to like for for your W nine, you need to store the the social security number or the EIN. Well, that's pretty sensitive information. And then oh, we need to store bank account information. So as soon as you kind of cross those thresholds of storing that information, it's super, super important that nobody can easily access it. Um, so, so obviously you have a, a login and all that stuff, but we've added stuff over time. We've added two-factor authentication. So you can get a you know text to your phone to make sure it's you logging in. And then we also, before our first fundraise, we started doing annual penetration tests, which is a third-party company will come in and they'll try to hack our systems. We have a, a separate system set up that's just with fake information, but they, that way they're telling us, "Hey, we we can access it in this way and we can go fix it." Um, so we we've always taken it really seriously, and the reason I think we did that on our first couple raises was some of our our clients at the time were really security focused or who we were building it for because they were uh, they had had investors basically had wire fraud committed and we've talked a little bit about this but on one of their first deals a passive investor received wire transfer instructions via email and sent his wire in and it ended up finding out that it went to some other location i don't remember where it was but halfway across the world and and that investor lost $200,000 we know another investor who lost $50,000 and a good sponsor sometimes will cover that, and sometimes you got to figure out how to make that work. But when the money's wired away, the money is gone. There's no like reverse wire transfer if the other if the other party doesn't want to do it. So wire fraud is one of the huge huge concerns with being a passive investor in deals. Your money just ends up somewhere else, and it's a super super easy thing for. It's like the low hanging fruit of exploits. All it requires is for a passive investor to be looking at their email and somebody to have access to the same email address as they do. So if you if you don't have two-factor authentication on your email provider, if you're using Gmail and you just have a simple like username and password, somebody can basically come in and intercept an incoming email from that sponsor that says, hey, send money here. They delete that real quick, format their own, send it to you and replace it with their own, you know, bank account information. So that's the, the long version of it. But since we knew that it happened to these sponsors, we were made aware of it. So we immediately started, you know, we, we made sure that there was a secure wiring instructions in the portal so that the sponsors never have to send out an email, which puts the, the LP at risk. Well, I think that is so important. And I think I know who you're talking about with the 200,000. And I think he has discussed it publicly, but we, we won't put him on blast here. Mm-hmm. But folks out there, maybe passive investors or syndicators, maybe have this mentality that it can't happen to me or what are the odds? And yeah. you know, it's not that big a deal, that kind of thing. Or maybe even don't have an expectation around cybersecurity for a, you know, and in, in a private investment, they just think I'm not, I'm probably not a target. It's not that big a deal. Right. But we know reality and history, recent history shows us that that's not true. Syndicators are a target yep. for these hackers. Well, I have a, a funny story about this, but I mean, if you, if you think about it, the, like 
if a person has like what people will do when they hack your email, which hacking the hacking someone's email is it's fairly simple to do because not everybody's if you have a password protection, if you have two-factor authentication, it's very, very difficult. But there are large lists online of of previously hacked username and passwords. And so there's been these huge data breaches over the last 10 years that exist. And there used to be a website that would show you, if you typed in your email, it would show you six or seven passwords that have been hacked of yours. I went there years ago and it was a public website. They now tell you that you've been breached, but they don't show you the password. Um, <laughs> but they, sh- I went in there and typed in my email and it showed me my, like the four passwords I grew up using. And I was like, one of them was my current password at the time. And I freaked out was like, like my password is very much public knowledge. And that's when I started using LastPass, which we've talked about to pass like a, a password management system. So if, if, if a hacker though, if you're using those username and passwords, it's been exposed in a data breach somewhere, which there are billions of username and password combos that have been, that you can buy on the internet for 50 bucks on the, on the dark web. Since those exist, if you've been using a password for five years or four years, or you've been using five passwords and you switch between them, chances are 90 to 95% that your password and username and password combo that you use all the time exists on the dark web and somebody can buy it for 50 bucks. So what happens is people will go to the most common providers like your email service or like, I mean, even like Netflix and Hulu, the low hanging fruit is like, well, hey, I get a free Netflix membership, username, password, hey, this one works. But they would just use a program to spam through a big list of username and passwords and then you get access to free services. The next level up though is let's get into somebody's email address. And then you're just watching for keywords and key phrases like wire transfer instructions or sending money. And then they can just sit there and watch emails come in and out. You would never know that you're, you've been exposed. But once they see one of those, they would either have a system in place or they would quickly delete it and send you a fake one with their own information. So. I hate being a fear monger. I hate that idea. But it is, it's like the new frontier of crime is cybercrime. That's and it's in this whole internet industry, it's a very young industry. The the thing about it is that it's 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 very easy to take the mentality of, well, this would never happen to me, or you know, wait until it's an urgent problem to actually address it. When I very first started really studying cybersecurity, I had kind of a funny thing happen, which was I got a, I had an alert from PayPal telling me that my account was being, uh, that my account was being hacked. And then PayPal, I saw, I saw an email and then I got received a phone call. And this was only a few years ago when I really started doing this, but I was actually, it was a Saturday morning and I was actually sitting there coding and like doing cybersecurity related coding work. Okay. And I received a phone call and, and it said from PayPal, so I answered it. And they said, hey, somebody's trying to hack your account. And I just received an email from PayPal too that I verified was from, from PayPal. They said, we're going to send you a two-factor authentication code on your email to your email right now. Let us know what this is and whatever. And I did it because I thought, I just saw an email from PayPal. You know, So you probably know how the story goes. Maybe everybody doesn't. But this is a, a, another scam that exists where somebody is, goes to your PayPal, they say, hey, forgot my password, send me a two-factor auth code, it sends to your email or to wherever, and then somebody calls your phone and says, hey, 
or PayPal security, somebody's trying to hack your account, you should have just got an email from us. But they actually just triggered the email to that from PayPal. So now they got your two-factor auth code, they answer it in and they get, get in there. I hung up the phone with them and I started thinking and I was like, wait a minute, did I just do something really dumb? Because they called me. So I called PayPal right back and they're like, yeah, that was definitely not us. And as I'm, as I'm on hold, I'm seeing email notifications. Your bank account has changed. A new card has been added. A new address has been added. Like, oh my gosh. And imagine how stupid I felt, right? I'm studying cybersecurity and this happens to me. So it is not, it is not as something to like look down on. The risks are very, very high of having, you know, losing a lot of money. The good thing is the actual solution, as you and I know, is actually really, really simple and it's very low cost. Like you could spend a couple hours and in large part solve the problem, which is having like the basic things like your, uh, your, your bank account and your email address. Like change your password on those using a password program and then add two-factor authentication to those things. That's something you could do in like half an hour you go get LastPass. There's, I think there's a free version of LastPass and then you could pay like $1.99 a month or something for it. And all that is is a password manager that lets you have one big complex password that you log in with. And then it stores multiple random passwords for all of your other places. So if you use a service like that, you can you know, randomize all of your passwords. You still only have to remember one password, you'd want to make it a little bit more complicated than, and not one that you've been using for five years at this point. But then you can just gradually over time start going into different accounts and updating them as you go in from that old password and de-risk yourself. So it's very, very low cost to make improvements to those type of things. You know, very, very low risk and high reward, I would say. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, I appreciate you sharing the story of making a mistake yourself, even even when you're in the thick of it because we're it's human error right they they tricked you is really mm -hmm. what happened even though you're aware of the trick they can still get you so you know we need to set up these systems and prepare and plan and mm -hmm. it seems to me that that setting up a lot of these things to make yourself just less vulnerable is yeah. fairly straightforward it's established and i want to call back something you said you said you hate the fear monger I don't see it so much as fear mongering because it's not fear mongering to tell you to wear a seatbelt. It's just sure. a good idea to wear a seatbelt in a car. Yeah. I've been in a car accident. I remember the feeling of the seatbelt grabbing me and pulling me back into the seat. And that sticks in my mind. If I hadn't been wearing that seatbelt, then I might have been flung from the car or bashed right. my head or something. And there are so many of those stories. And I think it's it's a a good analogy for cybersecurity because we all know someone who has been hacked in some way. And mm -hmm. there's just so much risk here when it comes to making an investment for a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars that you could right. so very easily make a mistake and lose that money when taking the steps to not make that mistake are not that hard or expensive. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 a good point. And and especially with Somebody who's a passive investor. When you're talking about sending that much money, you know this is this is a good having password protection and doing some basic due diligence on on making sure that you're sending your money to the right place. 
uh, is important for anybody, but somebody who's investing 50 or 100 or $150,000, just the level of awareness definitely needs to go up to, to accommodate that. Yeah. And I think that uh, I don't know across the board what the average passive investor thinks about this or even how many of the, say, thought leaders in the passive investment space are really talking about having particular expectations for sponsors, cybersecurity measures or steps or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I, I think that, I don't know, we need more guys out uh, like you out there talking to the passive investors saying, here mm-hmm. are the options. They're not that expensive and right. you need to have an expectation on this. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I'm a slow a technology adopter. For being a tech guy, I adopt technology very, very slowly. I'm like... Uh, I don't want to add another tool to my life, right? So I get it. And I get why you'd be like, why it takes so long for people to adopt new technology. So it's important to make things easy. And it's important for sponsors to make things easy uh, for their investors and lower the barrier to entry as much as possible. So, and, and that's what with Investor Deal Room, we have two factor authentication built in for all the LPs. So you can have that out of the gate. You're going to have wiring instructions inside of the portal and, and not sending those out via email. So those are some of the low-hanging fruit that we're trying to pick up for sponsors that at the end of the day serve both the LPs and the, and the actual deal sponsors. Is there anything that comes to mind that is, say, less low-hanging fruit, but is obviously still important that might not be intuitive or that we haven't addressed yet? Gosh, that's a good question. I don't think so. I think the the actual common attack points it's like 95 to 96 you know the the percentage of of actual problems that exist first of all in in this industry all of the problems that i hear about are about wire fraud that is that is the problem and and as sponsors become more and more sophisticated they're more likely to be targeted so or when they, they have more and more investors so that is the biggest one that we hear all the time i haven't really heard a lot of other uh, specific things. And it's always the same exact thing. It's wire fraud because the passive investor's email was hacked. It's not even that the sponsor's email was hacked. It's because the passive investor's email was hacked. I'm sure there there are other things and there are things you can do to protect yourself in, individually. And I'm probably missing something else, but that's definitely the most important one. Well, you're at the forefront of it. And I think a lot of these things, I mean, if the market changes and we all start properly implementing these controls, these cybersecurity things, then the hackers will find another way. And those out there like you who are on the forefront looking for these things, trying to see where the breaches are happening, where the money's being lost, you're going to see that coming first. Yeah. It, you know, and, and even saying that, there, there's, there is another thing that, that just occurs to me. It's Again, it's more what how sponsors manage things. And there's different levels of sophistication to this. But, you know, when a sponsor collects that information from the investor, you end up with subscription documents, which are just chock full of juicy information. I mean, you have, you know, all all of their tax information, bank information, as well as a lot of personal information from the investor questionnaire about your net worth and all of that stuff. So documents, and, and then those end up on spreadsheets. And so just what, what, what we know is that, that there's different levels of sophistication to how that stuff gets shared and the privacy and sharing of those things and where it gets stored. 
And when you, when you don't take a kind of a systemic look at it and care a lot about security, that stuff can end up being shared or left on multiple in, in multiple systems and, and kind of end up multiple places. So for me, if I were a passive investor, I would want to know like where are my documents being stored? Do, you know, if, if somebody has four different storage systems and they're a little loose with, they share it with this person, that person, or, um, you know, that, that stuff, I, th- I think that's an example of something that's a little less obvious, but being in the industry a lot, I'm, I'm often kind of aghast at like, don't share your password via email with me. Don't like, don't do these, you know, these very basic <laughs> things, these things that, t- I mean, to me, they seem basic, but they're, they're maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Well, I think we need to be conscious of these things, pay attention to them and, not be the easy target, I think is really what it yeah. comes down to. We can't control what others do, but we need to be aware and make sure that we're not the ones making the mistake is where we can mm-hmm. get started. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that comes down to, to you know, knowing it. And I think you, you can get a pretty good idea of, of the sponsor you're working with and, and what, what, how they handle anything is how they handle everything. So you know, a lot of that just comes down to the decision of the sponsor you're working with generally too. Interesting. Well... My opinion is if you're w- working with a sponsor, especially on a deal now, you, you were telling me before that cyber attacks have kind of increased in this time of coronavirus and there are so many options available. If you're working with a sponsor, looking at investing in a syndication passively and they're sending you wiring instructions via email or not ha- they don't have good document management or any of these information system practices out implemented. I mean, run away. Don't do that deal. You're putting yourself yeah. at risk. Don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's super important to like, be, because the industry is changing so fast, it is a good excuse from the, from the perspective of like, it's difficult to keep up, right? It's difficult to do a good job with all this stuff because there's a lot of change and there's a lot of work to do that the internet in general has blown up over the last 30 years. But it's really important that a sponsor is keeping up with those changes and you know that they're paying attention that they're, because what ends up happening, like there's a lot of sponsors from, especially in the private equity industry who were doing deals before, they were doing deals via mail and now they've switched to email and they'll, they'll email report, they'll do this and that. But it's very, very, very much sticking to the, like they they're, have adopted a little bit of new technology, but they haven't really, haven't, haven't really jumped in and got their feet all the way. They're just like getting their feet wet with it. And the risk there is that you're, by not kind of paying attention to what's going on in the industry and by dragging your feet a little bit, the risk is that you're, you're actually creating more of a risk by doing that than you are serving your investors. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Warren Buffett's first rule of investing is don't lose money. And this is a way that folks, it's not everybody is obviously loses money this way, but when you lose money, you lose big and we can take mm-hmm. simple steps to avoid that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Josiah, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? All right. First one, what's the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So I, I thought about this and I'm going to give a corny answer anyways, even though I think you're, you're trying to, to get a, a better answer. I think my, my, my best investments are all in people. So in I think of my my brother when when I was first starting to learn to code, I kind of taught myself to code, started building websites and, and started getting work. 
And he ended up like laid off of his job. And I was like, hey, come work with me and, and I'll teach you some stuff. And that led to him getting, you know, six-figure job. And now he works with me at my company now again and building. Now we're both software developers. And so I didn't, I definitely didn't have the money to pay him. And he was eating ramen noodles for months. So <laughs> it was it was difficult for both of us at the time, but it just it seemed like the right thing to do. And and every time I really I think made long-term investments in people and, and in developing their skills and, and wanting to see people succeed. Those have been the most, the most rewarding investments for me. Nice. Well, I, I love that answer. We had the best okay, investment. <laughs> now we move to the worst investment. Hopefully this is not the same answer that you made a bad investment yeah, yeah. in a person. What yeah, is I the invested worst in a person. <laughs> um, uh, let me think. I don't think I have any really bad monetary investments. I do think that, so, so I'll go a different direction again, which is, I think that I, I have bad investments in terms of just my time spent on, on, on projects or products that I would use to try to build. I, I used to have a, somewhat of a get rich quick mentality. I hate to admit it, but it's, mm. that's the truth. And I think that you and I ended up spending a lot of time on build, trying to build things that would make me, you know, get me rich quick or be the, the four hour work week type of like the bad part of that mentality. There's definitely a good part, but the bad part of that thing. So I think I definitely had some, some big time investments without really committing to the long, the long haul for that thing, you know, trying, just trying to make a quick buck. Anytime I've tried to do that with, with any investments, it's gone poorly. And in contrast with this business, I, I knew that I'm, I'm here for the long run and I'm going to make it work. If that takes five or 10 years, then that's what we're going to do. And that's been much more fruitful for me. Good. I respect that. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? I think I've learned a lot about what I would say, like the idea of transmutation. I said, I said this on a, on a, another podcast I was on recently, but I think it's true. And transmutation in that, in the old, days of alchemy is the idea of, you know, you transmute bronze into metal or nickel into, or into gold, right? The, the old alchemical idea of things. But I think of it in, in a business sense, it's about difficulty. It's the idea of turning lemons into lemonade and, and taking challenges and having an attitude about challenges that, it, that is to face them with a positive attitude and to transmute them into opportunities. So I think that I've learned through a lot of different experiences and I've become better at doing that. And that's, that's probably the most valuable thing in terms of my business and, and, and learning in this industry. Nice, nice, I like that. Well, thank you for joining us today. Again, like I think this is such an important topic that is not being talked about enough and you have a great solution that addresses these cybersecurity concerns. If folks wanna learn more about you, more about your business, more about the software, where can they find you? Yeah, investordealroom.com, investordealroom, three words. You can, yeah, find us there. Um, you can also look me up on LinkedIn if you want to chat. Yeah, hopefully we're doing a good job. We have a lot of fun and we get to hang out with people like you all the time. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, it's, it's great to talk with you. And like I said, I mean, I, I truly believe that this is a very important topic. You mentioned LastPass. I've been using LastPass for years and it's easily probably the best investment I have ever made. And it's so cheap to use and it changed my I life. I should have used that one. <laughs> it, it is. It's a great, 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 very cheap investment. And it's 
like, like very, very low risk, or there's no risk. It's just huge, huge reward for very little money. And it's, it saves a ton of not just the risk, but so much frustration when you've had to remember which password did I use for this website of my five passwords that I've recycled. And now today I've learned we're probably hacked anyway. And this wipes that away for a very, very, very low and affordable cost per year. And I'm, I'm a Sounds huge like fan. we work for LastPass. We don't get an affiliate commission for this. <laughs> at least not yet. I got I to gotta figure that out. But no, not at this yeah. point. Neither of us is getting paid for this endorsement. It's just we're satisfied customers. But anyway, thank you for joining us today and, and bringing these Thanks lessons. And thank you for doing what you do. I'm happy to talk with you. Once again, we'll have to, once the quarantine's over, if we see each other at a conference, we'll have to find a gym and do some jujitsu. But uh, I'm in. <laughs> Good. Good. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. Have a great day and a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.